I get to make fun of the Navy tonight. That's going to feel good. And we're going to talk about inflation, and that's not going to feel good. All that's coming up on I'm Right. Welcome to I'm Right. I'm Jesse Kelly. It's time for This Week in Wokeism. Did you know the Japanese fired on American cities off the Pacific coast in World War II? Did you know there were places in New York City where you could look out and see German U-boats sinking American ships? A lot of people don't realize this. The Japanese actually invaded and took over American islands up in Alaska, and then we took them back. Why? Well, they crossed that vast blue thing you see on your map called an ocean. You and I are blessed. We are blessed to live in America. And I'm not doing the normal rare, rare USA thing, although we should do more of that. I'm not doing that. I want you to understand how blessed you are to be here. You see, America is more than just limited government, place based on Christian values. That's what our law systems are based on, which whether you're a Christian or not, whatever you believe, you want to live in a society like that. But we're more than that. We're a country that has two massive advantages most nations do not have. One, natural resources. We're drowning in them. Shoot, are, we've let our climate communists kneecap us, and we're still just drowning in natural resources, coal and oil and gold, and you name it, we have it all here, and that's not normal. And that's not just because of the size of the nation. You look at a country like Russia, way bigger than us, for its size, they actually don't have much of natural resources. We're just in the land of plenty here. So that's one. Most Americans don't think about that. It's part of the reason we're so wealthy. Two, look at a map. Look at a map of the United States of America. Do you see those two big blue things, one off the East Coast and one off the West Coast? Those are oceans, big ones. They are natural barriers that have, throughout our history, kept us fairly safe from harm. Now, I already brought up World War II, but things like the War of 1812, the Revolutionary War. We've actually had American cities burning, women and children dying. Why? Because naval vessels from opposing nations were able to get by our Navy. You and I have taken for granted for a long time because it's all we've ever known. It's not our fault. All we've ever known is the safety of having two big oceans there protecting us and the world's greatest Navy keeping us safe. I am a Marine. It pains me to give the Navy any credit. Believe me when I say that, we have to have a strong Navy. Even our founding fathers who believed in tiny, tiny standing armies, they thought they were a danger to liberty, that they were all about the tiny military life. Even the Founding Fathers knew America must have a strong Navy. We simply must. You understand what it means if we don't have a strong Navy, right? I want you, I want you to understand this before I go into this new report that came out about the Navy. You understand what it means if China is able to sweep our Navy off the seas and approach our shore unencumbered. You do understand that means hundreds of thousands, millions of Americans dead. You understand what it means if China is able to park a few battleships right off the coast of Los Angeles and begin bombarding it. 
You know what that looks like. Buildings falling, women and children dying in droves. Does it sound like I'm trying to scare you? Good, because I am. I want you to do me a favor after the show tonight. After you're done with the show, I want you to go get a book on World War II. Not a normal book. Not D-Day or Pearl Harbor or Battle of the Bulge or any of the high points you know as an American. I want you to go find books that give you the Japanese perspective or the German perspective in World War II. What their civilians went through in Berlin while the city was bombed into oblivion and the Russians were coming in to rape and pillage everything. I want you to pick, I want you to read about the firebombing of Tokyo where 100,000 citizens burned to death. You don't want to lose a major war. You don't know what that's like. I don't know what that's like. I only know what I read. If we have a Navy that can be swept off the sea, we will lose a major war. And that means people dying by the thousand, 10,000, million if they so choose. Having a Navy prepared to stop China is that big of a deal. So we have a new report out. We commissioned a retired Marine Corps general or retired admiral, some Congress did this, to do a report. They wanted to know how bad is it in the Navy? Because the Navy's had all these high-profile problems. I mean, I mean it's, it's more than just the standard headlines, which we'll get into in a moment. Remember, there have been all these ship collisions. Iran, Iran has been seizing naval vessels. There is major, major rot going on within the Navy, and everybody currently serving, well, they don't feel comfortable talking about it, at least not putting their name on it, because then you end your career. So what they did was they grabbed 77 currently serving people in the Navy, or have just retired, currently serving or just retired, and they let them remain anonymous. What they found, well, let's just be honest, this story is going to be gone in 24 hours and you'll have forgotten about it, but what they found may be the most dangerous thing going on in the world today. Here are some things from the report. While programs to encourage diversity, human sex trafficking prevention, suicide prevention, sexual assault prevention, and others are appropriate, they come with a cost. The non-combat curricula consume Navy resources, clog inboxes, create administrative quagmires, and monopolize precious training time. By weighing down soldiers with non-combat related training and administrative burdens, both Congress and Navy leaders risk sending them into battle less prepared and less focused than their opponents. I have quotes from some of these serving members, and I want you to remember something. Remember this. When I read you these quotes, who's the one who's been telling you there are only so many hours in a day? If you train for a year to kill me, and I train for a year to kill you, and I spend five hours a day making sure gay people and women and trans and black people are comfortable, and then the other five hours learning to kill you, and you train all 10 hours a day learning to kill me, I'm going to die when we meet. I've been warning you that time is finite. We don't have time for this. And of course, that's why the show is called I'm Right, because I was right once again. Remember, when I read you these quotes, remember this. China is spending every waking moment thinking about murdering you. Remember that. This is from a Navy lieutenant. Sometimes I think we care more about whether we have enough diversity officers than if we'll survive a fight with the Chinese Navy. It's criminal. They think my only value is as a black woman, but you cut our ship open with a missile and we'll all bleed the same color. 
This is from a Navy senior enlisted leader. I guarantee you every unit in the Navy is up to speed on their diversity training. I'm sorry that I can't say the name of their ship. I can't say that. For the, I can't say the same of their ship handling training. Remember that huge fire we had in San Diego? You know, a big part of naval vessels, you don't know about this. It's not the sexy part of the Navy. Fire prevention and putting out a fire. You must train for that hours and hours and hours and hours a day because fire is death on these gigantic powder keg vessels full of fuel and ammo and everything else. And yet we screw up time and time and time again. There is nothing going on that could lead to a more catastrophic loss of life right now than all this garbage. And I'll tell you something else, and this is going to be wildly offensive, and I don't care. We are a million miles away. In fact, not a single serving Republican would even have the guts to say what I'm about to say, but what I'm about to say is 100% right. We're a million miles away from having the conversation that women shouldn't be aboard, aboard deployed naval vessels either. They shouldn't. They have no place there. Why? Well, it's not because women are bad. It's because women and men, especially young women and young men, throw them together on a gigantic naval ship, sleeping right next to each other, deployed for six months, a year at a time, well, things are going to happen. And once things happen, drama happens. And once drama happens, do you see where I'm going here? Now we're worried about the love boat and we're not worried about killing the Chinese military. It has been a humongous failure. Every person I've talked to within the Navy admits it, including the women within the Navy admit it, and not one single elected Republican even, let alone Democrat, will bring up women shouldn't be on these ships. I brought up these collisions in the very beginning. Do you know I know what, something about one of those collisions? I will not tell you which collision, and I can't give out the name because I am sworn to secrecy. You know why one of those collisions happened? Because one of the women who was supposed to be watching that part of the ship that night got in a fight with her boyfriend on the ship and did not go to her post. Never read about that, did you? That's real. Again, that's not anti-women. That's men and women are how God made us, and we shouldn't be on ships together for six months at a time if we want to live. Now let's move on. I debated whether or not to show this to you tonight because it is a family show and it always will be a family show you're never going to have to turn this show off with your kids in the room you got to go the, to the kitchen and grab some snacks and leave the kids in front of the tv while i'm right on you always feel comfortable doing that because i have my own kids who watch the show so i get it so i almost didn't want to say the name i didn't want to show it to you but i do think it's important now, this took place in London. This didn't take place in America, although stuff like this takes place in America all the time. They had an event for kids. Do you know who they brought in for this event for kids? I'm only going to say the name once. Uh, Rainbow... I'm not even going to say the whole name. Rainbow Butt Monkey. I have parts of that picture blurred out. You should be disgusted. Take the picture off. We don't have to look at that anymore. But you should take a lesson from this. Remember this. You, you care about your family, you care about your children, you care about your culture, and I'm glad you do. You should care about it very much. You're horrified right now by the culture you see spreading this infection, this perverse infection all across America. You're horrified by it. I'm horrified by it. That's good. We should be. But it's important you and I understand something. 
this hasn't come close to reaching its final form yet. Somebody called up that thing on purpose so they could make sure that thing was dancing in front of your children. Remember that, someone did that on purpose. These people are not stopping, they're not slowing down, they're not looking in the mirror and saying to themselves, ah, you know, I think we've gone far enough. They are full speed ahead. We are in that kind of a serious culture war right now. We had better start engaging a lot and gonna have to be more forceful about it. Oh, remember what I've been telling you about universities? Maybe you should stop sending your kids there. Well, you tell me, do you want to send your kids to Penn State? Bro, how's it feel knowing that push comes to shove, like your skin's kind of nice? I don't know. I mean, it makes me feel, like, sad because, like, God knows I don't deserve it. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't choose to be white. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, I, like it makes me upset that, like, you know, my brothers and sisters of, like, other races can't, like, experience those things for something that I didn't, like, you know, I didn't do anything to, like, deserve that. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't know, it just makes me upset. So, so we're in, this is the problem with white people. The question then becomes is what should we do? So there are all sorts of white people sitting, Sean, yep. there are all sorts of white people sitting out here in the class right now saying, Let's so what job. should I do? You're gonna spend 20, 30 grand a year and send your kids to that? So you can brag to your neighbors, my son goes to Penn State. Or are you gonna find a different route? All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We got a great show for you tonight. We got, we got a bunch of inflation talk tonight. Don't worry, I'm not gonna nerd out. I won't nerd out on it, but it is important we find out exactly how bad the dollar's taking a beating. It's gonna be a blast tonight, but first, are you stuck in a timeshare? Did you get a timeshare and can't get out of it? If you did, that's you're not alone. I want you to understand this happens to so many people. There are so many of these timeshare companies that are scummy. You're, you're far from being alone. And you have help, real help. Newton Group Transfers is out helping people like you. Ah, uh, you have to pay $5,000. Oh, we'll let you out in maybe 10 years. Ah, uh, call back next year when the boss is in. You don't have to deal with this runaround anymore. You have one phone call to make. Call 888-84-JESSE. That's 888-84-JESSE, or you don't want to talk to someone on the phone, that's fine. Go to timesharejesse.com. That's timesharejesse.com. Newton Group is helping people just like you. You are not stuck in that timeshare. Help is on the way. Call Newton Group today. We'll be back. Inflation. Don't, don't roll your eyes. Don't change the channel. It's not going to be boring, but we, we do have to talk about something here. That thing we talk about a lot on this show, accountability. I mean, you see all these numbers that are out now. Price index, 5.4%. Wall Street Journal predicting inflation here to stay and forecasts above 2% through 2023. Meanwhile, Democrats... They came up with a budget proposal. Apparently, reportedly, they have a budget agreement. You know what that budget is? 
$3.5 trillion. $3.5 trillion. Now, I can do this normal thing that people will do on the right, yell and scream about inflation, blame it all on Biden, talk about how insane Democrats and their spending is and all these other things. But you and I are going to have a real talk because we're adults. We're not children, and we're capable of thinking that goes a little bit deeper than two inches. Let me ask you something. And I don't need you to tell me. I mean, you're welcome to. You can email me if you want, but I don't need you to tell me your answer. I don't need you to tell anyone. You don't have to tell your husband. You don't have to tell your wife. You don't, you don't have to tell your friends. Just, I want you to be honest with yourself. Let me ask you something. What were you saying when coronavirus hit our shores? Were you all about 15 days to slow the spread? I know a lot of people were. It's a, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need you to email me again. Just want you to think about this. What were you saying then? Uh, this sounds bad. We, we should go home for a couple weeks and just see. Let's just let's take our remote control and pause the economy. We'll just press pause. That's how they work, right? Were you saying that? And then coronavirus was going along, and since 15 days to slow the spread was so popular, they just kept telling people, well, another month. Ah, another two months. Oh, whoa. Turns out some people are hurting out there. I guess people have to have to actually work to earn a paycheck. That's so weird. Were you one of the people pushing for Congress to pass these massive stimulus bills? Were you? You know, they were printing trillions. Revenues weren't coming in because they stopped the economy. And then on top of the printing trillions... Just pass stimulus bill after stimulus bill because we want to be compassionate, right? That's the nice thing to do. Let's send everyone a check, of course. Oh, whoa, that unemployment isn't enough. Let's, let's raise those rates too. Let's pay everybody. Let's just pay everything. Another, keep that printing press going. We need trillions into the economy. Let's set aside Joe Biden for a moment. Let's set aside Democrats. Yes, I understand that they share a probably lion's share of the blame for this. Let's deal with what you and I can deal with. Let's deal with you and I. What were you saying back when the big scary virus came? If you were all about that lockdown life and you were all about the pass this bill and pass that bill and Republicans need to be nice and generous and if you were all about that, then I don't want to hear your complaints about inflation. Inflation doesn't come because of what happened yesterday. Things lead up to inflation. There are laws in economics, laws, not theories. You cannot print unbacked currency like that at that level and expect anything but inflation. Of course we have inflation. Why do we have inflation? Because we are a panicky, spineless nation who ran home and hid under our beds and told the government to pass stimulus bills when a new virus hit our shores. I'm mad about inflation too. I gotta pay grocery bills same as you do. Fill up my car with gas, I know. I get the phone calls from my wife. Do you know what our grocery bill is now? I, I, I know, I know. We did it to ourselves. Panic, it has a cost. And the cost is really high. You're feeling it now, aren't you? All right. Now, you're going to be feeling something else if you don't get home title lock. You see these cyber criminals, they're out there. They're hunting for home titles. 
your home title is online, and if guys like this get a hold of it, you're in deep trouble. Nobody thinks that I can take their house and borrow against the house. Oh no, I have title insurance for that. No, it's, it's in my name, or he would have to get some special document. They would call me. You know, nobody's calling you. After I've stolen the title, borrowed against it, or sold the property, or done whatever I've done with it, it's 60 to 90 days to even figure out that, that they're the victim of this crime. You know, by that point, you start getting foreclosure notices, and you realize you've got four mortgages on your house. Not only that, you don't even own your home anymore. It's not even in your name. Don't let it happen to you. You don't want that kind of headache. You don't want to get evicted. You don't want to spend tens of thousands of dollars on a lawyer to avoid getting evicted. Just go get Home Title Lock. HomeTitleLock.com. And when you use the promo code RADIO, you get 30 days for free. Protect yourself. HomeTitleLock.com. We got Pastor Daryl Scott coming up next. Hang on. Joining me now, one of my favorite guests, Pastor Daryl Scott. He's the author of the book, Nothing to Lose, Unlikely Allies in the Struggle for a Better Black America. Pastor, I'm going to play you this video of Joe Biden. He made these stupid Civil War comments yesterday, and I'm going to play it for you and everyone else. I'm sure you've seen him. And it got everybody mad. But really what it told me is there's just a bunch of children writing Joe Biden's speeches in the White House. Look at this. So hear me clearly. There's an unfolding assault taking place in America today, an attempt to suppress and subvert the right to vote in fair and free elections. We're facing the most significant test of our democracy since the Civil War. That's not hyperbole. Since the Civil War. The Confederates back then never breached the Capitol as insurrectionists did on January the 6th. Oh gosh, Pastor, <laughs> honestly, I hear a 20-year-old soci sociology student there, and that's all I hear. Am I off base? No, you're not off base at all. But to be quite honest, we have to give what Joe says a little credence since he was alive during the Civil War. <laughs> <laughs> that's not hey, right, Joe, Pastor. That's but, not right. It, it, <laughs> what, what, if I'm not mistaken, was it the War of 1812 when they actually burned the White House? Yes, Joe it was. was, it was the war Joe should have remembered the, that, too. He was alive. Uh, well, the, the British <laughs> Navy sailed right up the Chesapeake and burned the White House down. Look, Pastor, in all seriousness, obviously you and I can laugh about this and we can joke about it, but there are a bunch of nutballs out there who hear this rhetoric and they believe it. I mean, we have to remember some Bernie Sanders supporter shot up a bunch of GOP congressmen at baseball practice before. Is there no self-awareness on the left that maybe we should dial down the racist Nazi Confederate talk just a touch? No, they don't care. Anything for political power. And you know what else they don't do? They never take their foot off the gas. Um, you know, I'll look back at the 2016 campaign. President Trump was pressing pretty hard about a lot of different things and a lot of different people. But once the election was over, he took his foot off the gas somewhat to try to have a more measured, tempered tone. Uh, but these Democrats, they don't care. They're not taking their foot off the gas. Once 2020 was, uh, as far as they were concerned, victorious, they had their eyes on 2024. They don't take their foot off the gas. They keep that hateful rhetoric going because they're looking at election after election after election. And anything that they can say that they think will help them win an election, they don't care. One minute they're saying that voter IDs are not required. 
Then they're turning around saying, I never said they were not. We got guys like Clyburn. I never said that. I'm saying this. They, they have no problem flip-flopping and changing positions or switching sides and uh, changing horses in the middle of the stream. They don't care. They have no conscience and they have no filter. Does it work? I mean, honestly, I, I see this kind of stuff and I roll my eyes or shake my head, but they do have the presidency of the House and the Senate. Maybe that's what we need to start doing. Clearly, it's effective on some level. On some levels, it is. On other levels, it can come back and bite them in the butt simply because we video everything now. And so you can pull up a snippet or you can pull up a soundbite from before. But, you know, they, you can pull a soundbite up and show it to them and they'll say they didn't say it while they watch themselves say it. And so, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, we do have to be uh, more uh, mindful of the tactics of today's politician. And the Republican Party has some catching up to do. And we need to stay on the offense at all times instead of being on the defense at, uh, most of the time. Why don't we? Why do we lack aggression? What is it about the right? We lack, it drives me crazy, Pastor. It's just that the second somebody says something to a Republican, they're, they're hiding under their bed, or I, I promise I'm one of the good ones. It's embarrassing to watch. I, I do miss Trump. I swear I do. Because, you know, we're supposed to be the party of the moral high ground. And so in... Uh, being the part of the moral high ground, sometimes we think we have to take the high road. I'm not like that. If I got to take the low road, I'm taking the low road. And, you know, um, uh, you know, we, we claim our morality causes us to uh, take the high road when oftentimes, you know, we can be so... There's a, uh, an expression we have in Christianity. Sometimes you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. And so we have to stop being so... Uh, heavenly minded. We have to look at the trends in society and we have to deal with them on that level. Sometimes we have to deal with things on the level that things are on rather than trying to deal with something on another level on from our level. Why aren't you we got to get dirty. Office? We got to get dirty, man. We got to get dirty. I found out, Jesse, when I first started doing, I went into it green. When I first started doing um, uh, hits on television, they had me on CNN a lot. I found out my best defense was a strong offense. And I went straight in, calling folks clowns and idiots and buffoons and stupid. <laughs> and I branded myself. I branded myself as a hell-raising, unfiltered guy that's liable to say anything. And that was my best defense. The fact that yeah. you, we don't know what type of offense this guy's going to take. And you can't get in there and just kick him around like that. And we need to stop allowing them folks to kick us around and be a strong in our, and, and more blunt in our statements and just taking a strong stance against stuff. Why aren't you running for office? Someone else can take the reins of the church for a while while you step way into the Senate or something. Hey, listen, they wanted me to run for Congress a few years ago, and I would have won. And they still keep coming back to me every couple of years. But I have to be honest, man, I'm too old and lazy and set in my ways. <laughs> <laughs> I've been self-employed. But since 1985, I get up when I want to get up. I go to bed when I want to go to bed. I go to work when I want to go to work. I don't go to work when I don't want to go to work. I would be the congressman. Now, when it came time to be in front of cameras raising hell, I'd do that good. But as far as me having to do some real work, I don't know. I don't know how effective I would have been. You'd have been like, this guy hasn't voted on anything, and, and <laughs> he's the most absentee congressman. I wouldn't go in. I'd be late all the time. Hey, man. It is, I, I, it's the truth anyway. <laughs> well, well but at least you're owning it. I've always said if I run for Congress again, I'm just going to be corrupt. I'm going to be taking bribes under the table. I'm going to get filthy rich like everyone else while I do this thing. All right. As you know, you and I have had this talk before. There's nothing that absolutely makes me want to choke somebody than these weenie 
cultural Marxist pastors. I can't take these people anymore. I hate them. I hate weak-spined pastors because pastors have to lead the flock. And I have these guys like this Chuck Curry, Reverend Chuck Curry, saying things to me online like, nationalism is incompatible with Christianity. Reject those who argue that U.S. is a Christian nation. We are a pluralistic society, and pluralism is a strength that must be defended. That's a pastor. That jellyfish loser is a pastor. That man leads a church. What are we supposed to do with these people? I, and listen, the guy just wants to have his voice heard, so he comes to your platform with that nonsensical comment. Regardless of what type of society that we are, we were founded upon Judeo-Christian principles. And so the principles of our foundation uh, is what we rest upon, once again, Judeo-Christian principles. And he can't deny that he's just a guy who doesn't want to take any type of stance. And as a result, you know, he's blind leader of the blind, uh, like the Bible says, and, and, and everyone that's following him along with him will fall into the ditch. And he's becoming more the norm than an aberration. It used to be guys like that were an aberration. Now they're becoming the norm that they're allowing society to shape uh, their message. They're letting social trends determine the type of gospel that they preach or the message that they teach or the way they interpret the Bible that they read. And it's sad. Some were called, Jesse, some were sent, and some just went. This guy belongs to the some just went. But the some just went need to go. He needs to go. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Pastor, I know, I, know you're, I know you're close with President Trump. I know you are. And I know, obviously, if you had your druthers, he'd be president right now. Yeah. But that said, because he's, he's more than just a president, he's a friend of yours, do you want him to run again? Man, I don't. I want him to go to the beach with Melania and sip Mai Tais, virgin Mai Tais in Trump's case, and go golf and stuff like that. I don't want him to go through it again. Mm -hmm. if, I, if I could think of a better candidate than him, then maybe I would want to. But what I do want him to do is, and I understand why he's not doing it, and he's actually doing it very subtly, but we got to hit the ground and start campaigning now. Um, even though he's doing it in such a way that he doesn't have to be subject to campaign restrictions and, and regulations and different things like that, but um, uh, right now, yes, today, I, I would like him to run again. I would like him to be president again. Um, a couple of years from now, we'll see but I just don't see a stronger candidate than him right now. Um, he, he, you know, he he's like the Dark Knight. <laughs> he's what Gotham needs right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Pastor and America Scott, under Biden is so turning much. into Gotham City. We're turning into Gotham City <laughs> under under uh, Biden. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't even think Biden would qualify as one of the decent Batman villains. But that's another story entirely. Pastor Daryl Scott, thank what? you so much, sir. All right, great. But I'll call him Two-Face. He's Harvey Two-Face. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. All right. All right. Listen, your holster, it's not something that just sits there. Your holster actually has to perform. Why do I? Look, if you ask me whenever you see me and you want to see what I carry, Everything I carry, my mag carriers, my holster, everything is Northwest Retention Systems. Because I learned a long time ago, and I learned the hard way, you either go out there and get quality, or it can get you killed. Northwest Retention Systems is not big box store, bulk-made stuff. It's all custom-made, custom-made gear. And they still have the coolest designs in the business. I mean, really, really, really cool designs. Carry quality. 
I only carry Northwest Retention System. Go to nwretention.com. Check out all the cool gear they have. Check out their best-selling Scout chest holster, by the way. I think you'll enjoy that. nwretention.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE when you get there for 10% off. We'll be back. La seguridad, la, la seguridad la está, está allá afuera. Está afuera la seguridad. Tengo que salir. Te están llamando. Sí, voy a dejar a mi amiga. Sí, tú. sí, sal, sal. Nos quedamos en espera aquí. La van a, la van a detener en directo. No sé. Tristemente la van a detener en directo. Escucha. Sí, Dina. A ver, me llevan para Zapata y C. What you were seeing there can be a little tough to make out as an independent Cuban journalist detained by the dirty communist scum right there on live TV. Joining me now to talk about that is the host of the Follow the Prophet podcast, David Grasso. David, uh, Cuba's not messing around. I'm actually surprised they would take that step on TV knowing the word would get out. Why do they feel so bold? Well, you know, it's really interesting if we step back three years ago, I was really surprised to see social media allowed in Cuba. You know, Cuba is one of the last hardline communist countries re remaining on the planet. And I was really surprised to see my cousins and extended family on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp and Instagram. And I think what we're seeing is finally letting the genie out of the bottle. And now the government's lost complete control over time. David, obviously China came out and they the stands ready to work with Cuba and China's foreign ministries blaming us and things like that. So setting aside stupid propaganda pieces like that, how big are these protests? That's the question I get most. I've been drowning in these questions for 24 hours. People don't know. Is this a, a little street thing that's going to be gone in a day? Is, is the government going down? How big are they? They're very big. Whether they'll take down the government or not remains to be seen. The last time we saw protests this big in the six decades of the Castro regime, and you know now they have a new president that's basically handpicked by Raul Castro, who is, of course, Fidel's brother. We haven't seen protests this big since 1994. If you go back to 1994, they were struggling economically just like they are now because the Soviet Union fell and they lost their free money from global communism. And we're seeing much of the same thing today. They tried to de-dollarize the economy, which is, of course, has severe economic consequences. And the pandemic is really taking a toll on the Cuban economy, which is very dependent on tourism. But back to your original question, it remains to be seen whether this will take down the government. But this is definitely much bolder and much more widespread than anything we've ever seen in the past six decades in Cuba. What does de-dollarize the economy mean? What, what were they trying to do? It's very simple. Every time the government runs out of money in Cuba, they just pick up all the money. And they're literally looking to pick up all the foreign exchange. It's actually very, very common. And to us, it's a very foreign idea, right? Like, we'd probably be out in the streets if they suddenly changed the currency on us. And that's exactly what you're seeing, right? If suddenly your bank account, they were like, oh, you can no longer have dollars. You're going to have, you know, I don't know. Uh, pesos, we'll call it, whatever you want to call it. They had two different types of currencies in Cuba. 
right? They had one that was preferable to the other, and they got rid of the preferable currency. At the same time, they asked everyone not to hold dollars anymore, but opened these stores with a bunch of merchandise that most Cubans don't have access to, and demanding a new type of currency for those stores. So a lot of inside baseball here, but bottom line is they picked up all the dollars, they outlawed dollars, and the last in the last year, the Cuban economy has, has shrunk by 11%. That's nearly an economic depression. So you can imagine just the shortages, how hard life is, how hard it is to get food, fuel, and just the basic necessities of life. What is the Cuban economy? What is, I mean, obviously, I, all I know is the past. I know they were a huge, you say they still are. I know they were a huge tourist destination. It's supposed to be basically paradise down there. I know sugarcane was huge. Is that still the kind of thing they do? What is, how do they make money? It's really, they don't. I mean, that's been the whole problem is that communism hollowed out their economy. Back in 1959, which is when the Cuban revolution started, my half of my family's American, right? And they lived pretty similarly to my family in Cuba. They both had 57 Chevys. They were entrepreneurs. They owned their own homes. And what we've seen is the steady hollowing out of the Cuban economy. Cuba was the world's largest sugar producer. Now they import sugar. They import 70% of their food. Their tourism, which right now is co almost completely closed because of COVID, is the only way they have access to dollars. And they used to benefit from Venezuela's largesse. Of course, Venezuela is a similar regime, but has access to oil dollars. But Venezuela has been collapsing as well, and they've cut off their help to Cuba. So this is just dollars and cents. The government doesn't have enough money to keep the lights on, literally. So the people are rebelling. David, I want to play you something I'm sure you've seen. Here's the head of our DHS. The time is never right to attempt migration by sea. To those who risk their lives doing so, this risk is not worth taking. Allow me to be clear. If you take to the sea, you will not come to the United States. David, I need you to explain that to me. It's one thing if we're stopping, you know, Castro empties the jails. Everyone remembers that whole thing and tries to kick all those people to America. The people trying to escape this regime are not fleeing jail. They're fleeing communism. Our southern borders wide open. Why are we not welcoming, I mean, at least giving some asylum to these people who want freedom? Well, you know, there's two ways to look at this. And may I remind your viewers that Alejandro Mayorkas was born in Havana. So you're looking oh. at a Cuban-born guy say this. Um, you know, there's two ways to look at this, right? Until the Obama administration got rid of the wet foot, dry foot policy, which was the policy if a Cuban stepped foot on dry soil, which is really confusing and from the Clinton era, they would automatically be granted asylum. Well, that went away in 2017. So that was bad for individual people, including members of my family, but it was good in a different way. You know what it did? It took away that safety valve. Cuba used to export all their dissidents. Well, guess what? All those dissidents remained and look what happened in a matter of three years. Cuba, the problem is, is that most of us have left. Most of you have been to Miami and you've seen that we've done pretty well abroad, but unfortunately our country has never changed because we're too close to Florida. So we're going on the third generation here in the United States. We need some homegrown activism in Cuba. Of course, I agree with helping people escape if they need to, if their life is in danger, which seems to be the case. But it seems like the problem here is if people take to the high seas, there not only will be many deaths, 
but the Castro regime could seize the opportunity to do exactly what you said, which is empty their jails, get rid of all the dissidents, clamp down, and continue being in power. Yeah, I guess that's, yeah. Here's what Heavy D had to say about it. Uh, if we're understanding the stakes, understanding why people are, are revolting, uh, and we're siding with the Cuban people, uh, you, you could probably get a lot of the policies right at that point. If you go into it thinking that they're upset about a vaccine shortage or they're upset that there's not enough groceries in the store, uh, but they just want uh, the regime to change a few things around and kind of rearrange the deck chairs on the Titanic, if that's what you think, then you clearly have no hope of, of getting a, a favorable outcome here. What do they want, David? What, what, do, what do they want? Do they want freedom? Do they just want food? They, like, well, I'm trying to gauge what kind of movement we're dealing with here. I mean, I think the immediacy is food, right? But I think they want the opportunity to economically empower themselves. You know, since social media came about, my cousins see how we live, and you can't put that genie back in the bottle. Of course, democracy, liberal democracy in the sense of, you know, the political word, right, is what everybody wants. That's the gold standard, right? We want our voices to be heard. We want freedom of expression. We want the freedom to travel. I think primarily, as you call them, my governor, the big D is right. They want economic freedom, and they are just rearranging the chairs on the deck of the Titanic. The system simply does not work, and there is no way around that. There is no sense of rhetoric that can get around the fact that the Cuban system is a failed system and even countries such as China have moved on from this failed system and understand the need for some level of free markets. Yeah. David Grasso, tell me about the Follow the, Follow the Profit podcast. So I do exactly what I'm doing now. I tell people about how to view everything in the world in terms of economics. And that sounds pretty boring, right? Most of the time you'd see a ticker and whatnot, but it actually isn't. If you follow the profit and understand the way the money rolls, you'll understand the way the world works. The reason why Cuba doesn't want to reform is because there are too many people stuck in the way of reform and they're making a lot of money, including the Castro family, which according to conservative estimates, they're all billionaires and they stash their money <sighs> elsewhere. So follow the profit, and you'll understand why change is so hard. How many people are running Cuba? Is there one guy at the top, Central Communist Committee? How many people are really holding power there? You know, it's unclear. We know the Politburo. I mean, this is stuff that doesn't exist in the world anymore. You know, the Castros are clearly people who stand a lot to lose if they lose power. Raul Castro, who is the last remaining Castro brother of the ones who were in power, is still alive. But his kids are still around. There is a very thin elite. In fact, one of the things that was commented on by my family when I was there, they would say, you see people of power at the coffee shop? You see people of power at the mall? And I go, yeah, they live amongst you? So the answer to your question is the elite is hidden. They don't live among the people, and it's a very opaque system that's hard to understand, especially for people who live outside of Cuba. David Grasso, that was outstanding. Thank you, sir. Of course, always a pleasure. All right. Children's books. We were told some lies, and apparently we were told some truths. Stay tuned for Lighten the Mood next. All right, that's enough of that muck for tonight. It's time to lighten the mood. You know those children's books we all used to read or were read to us? I thought most of those things were complete garbage, but maybe 
Maybe some of those things were accurate. I still don't know what the whole moral of that story is. Slow and steady mean, wins the race. What's that supposed to mean? Oh, well. I'll see you tomorrow.